0: Hi, folks, welcome to this week's edition of the Finance Hour. The topic of this week's show is The World of Movie Making with Eddie Tamir. Eddie has had a fascinating career from studying to be a vet to travelling to the US to play basketball and try his hand at directing and producing cinema. This was Eddie's passion, and a number of years later, he and his wife Lindy reinvigorated the Elstonwick Classic cinema from a rundown business to a thriving 10 cinema complex and follow this up with new cinema developments in Hawthorne and Belgrave. We hear about the business machinations of the cinema world and give you a sneak preview to the upcoming Jewish International Film Festival. In my rant, I talk about why it may not be so great for business owners to work themselves out of a job and have too much time on their hands. Enjoy the show. (laughs) Hi, welcome to the Finance Hour. You may be listening live on Jr or on our podcast. This is a show where we help make sense of the world of business and finance, and hopefully help you make better decisions. Uh, my name's Ruben Zeller. I'm the financial planner and owner at Adapt Wealth Management. We're a financial advice firm that give advice to people who are professionals, business owners, or approaching retirement. Just a word from our lawyers. Anything that we do say today is not actually financial advice. Before you go and do anything, you should speak to uh, your accountant, your lawyer, your financial advisor, or your mate coming over for a barbecue. But not that we're going to be talking investments much this week. We are talking movies. And my guest in the studio today is Eddie Tamir, the owner of Elstomic Classic and Lido Cinemas and director of the Jewish International Film Festival. And we're going to hear a bit about Eddie's journey Uh, and from starting until where he got to today. But before we do that, it is time for Ruben's Rant.
1: Ruben's Rant!
0: Now my rant this week is all about uh, the common saying that everyone says that you should be working on the business, not in the business any business coach or or books, they'll always be saying, you've got to try and make yourself dispensable so so the business doesn't rely on you and no one needs you. Now I've happened to have come across a few people over the last couple of weeks, people in their age 60s who had had busy business lives and professional lives and they were struggling getting into retirement. They were bored, they weren't sure what to do. And it really occurred to me that it doesn't actually make sense to make yourself totally dispensable. Uh, You know, if you can find something really good and useful to do with your time, then that's great. But often a business interest or professional interest is, is going to be important for people during a long stage of their life, even when they're in retirement. So working on the business instead of in the business, well, I think it's one of those things that people like to say and business owners like to say, but it's always important to be doing something productive with your time. Okay, we're going to take a very short break and then I will introduce Eddie Tamir. Welcome back to the Finance Hour. Today we are discussing the world of movie making and we have with us Eddie Tamir, the owner of Elstomic Classic and Lido Cinemas and the director of the Jewish International Film Festival. Eddie, thanks for coming into the studio. Thanks, Thanks, Ruben. Great to be here. Excellent. Now, Eddie, uh, the first question I generally ask people is... uh, is how they got into what they did, because I'm guessing you didn't study movie making or or cinema redesign and refurbishment at uni. So tell me a little bit about what you started doing it, maybe in your career, and then sure. how it ended up where you got to today. Well, that'll take about three hours. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, but we'll start anyway. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so I guess in terms of just charting how I got to this point, it includes various twists and turns. Um i'll start at the beginning really so veterinary science melbourne university yeah um 1978 was the hardest course to get into yeah uh a stupid reason to do things um if (laughs) i can give any advice to people out there uh but i decided to do that and didn't particularly like animals yeah Um, but it was hard and actually three years three three years in I, th- I failed third year repeated it yeah so after my fourth year that that was about it and then i went on a basketball scholarship to yeshiva university in manhattan
0: all oh, right so you didn't actually finish uh you you did Correct. finish it did not finish you it you got all Five year four course. years and yep. then
1: didn't finish it that's right and uh then in new york various you know journeys studies creative writing performing as in acting oh, wow. school and psychology and all of that sort of mind opening manhattan of the 80s stuff and um that was hard going because you need a pretty thick skin in general particularly mm. in that city particularly in sort of the creative fields so you're g- playing basketball and and uh doing some acting as well at the same yep. time yep and i was studying yeah yeah yeshiva first and then columbia university oh wow of from which i graduated and i wasn't really into commerce really even though i'd sort of been you know my family as in my father who was running the business my mother was a teacher for many years my father had many many business incarnations so the whole thrust and parry of the commercial world you know was in the zeitgeist of the house mm-hmm. uh, my father started many many different ventures uh eventually ending up with uh, in the in the pit in the petrol business, we had a chain of service stations and convenience stores um, called Delta Petroleum, and we and I wasn't interested at all in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, but in those Manhattan years, you know, kind of lost my nerve a bit on the creative path. Yeah, came back um, with my you know I guess creative tail between my legs, mm. and started working in the family business. Yeah, so I was working at Delta Petroleum for uh, five five years. Mm-hmm. We were wholesaling petroleum. We yeah. were finding, we were developing retail outlets, service stations and convenience stores. Is this before like all the shells and the BPs completely took over or? Oh no, the, the, they were always there. Yeah. This was a period in time which harks back to the 70s and there was a company called actu solo mm-hmm. originally which my father was a partner of there were four partners and their whole shtick supported by the union in fact was to bring cheap petroleum to the people right probably not so different to today's landscape <laughs> if you talk about uh, the energy landscape yeah um Although no one's succeeding doing that that's right <laughs> but uh, so they actually there was imported ships from from overseas that supplied solo in its incarnation and the petrol was very very cheap with with queues out, you know, out into the main streets mm-hmm. of Melbourne, uh, and then uh, uh, my father had a parting of the ways with those partners, and he started yep. on his own, Delta Petroleum, yep. and we continued. So we uh, built a chain of uh, service stations and convenience stores, and we, and I guess that's where I kind of developed a kind of awareness and some experience in property. Mm-hmm. So we used to buy old rundown two pumps on curbsides you know with gravel driveways Mm. in in growing areas of melbourne and victoria we were only victorian based and then we got permits to redevelop to redesign Mm. and expand and evolve uh each of the sites and in many many growth areas from coo Rup to king lake Mm. uh, and everything in between um, so I was very involved with the acquisition of sites, the getting the permits, the you know overseeing of the of the building projects. Yeah. Uh, as well as man, you know, involved with the managing of uh, petrol stations. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yep. A- and then where did it uh, where did it head to from there? So did that business sort of stop at some point? Yeah. In nineteen ninety,
1: we we you know uh, taking up your point, we sold to Shell. Okay. Um, <laughs> speaking of your question. Yeah. Uh, and then. Uh, my wife lindy and i we went to israel to see about living there and what we would do there and i've always been in tension with the artistic and the commercial yeah Uh, that's always been running through me and you know uh, that's probably a bit later but to segue to fast forward i guess the whole idea of where i'm at now is to try to combine the artistic creative and the commercial rather than trying to separate it and say one thing is one thing and you know, commerce is commerce and 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 creativity is a different thing. Anyway, um so then um yeah, so did looked at various things, including businesses and doing stuff in Israel. And then I found my way to making a short film and applying to the Jerusalem Film School. And so that journey continued and ended up What was the film about? (laughs) <laughs> it was a uh, a fractured sort of operatic romance between a quadriplegic artist who drew with his mouth wow. and a mime artist who was a shop worked as a shop mannequin in shop windows in tel aviv and
0: when you say short fill would so you made it in israel i did end up
1: making in israel and was it it was in english though it was it was with no dialogue just music oh wow and that then led us for various reasons we were having our third child back in australia and then i used that film to get into swinburne vca at the time victorian college of the arts film school and my journey continued in the film direction for some years
0: yeah
1: um i'll fast track forward through there yeah if you want yeah um and then i so i i went to film school made a couple of short films again i Probably lost my creative nerve a bit again. There, you need a very thick skin to keep, mm. you know, well, when making you say you stuff.
0: Lost, you said that a couple of times. You lost your creative nerve. Yeah, was that just from being belted down by the world in terms of how they viewed your? That's right in terms output. of
1: in terms of judgment
0: on yeah. your output. So yeah.
1: you know, I got into the St Kildon Film Festival, but I didn't get into the Melbourne or Sydney Film right. Festival. So I felt, what am I doing? It's right. a waste of energy. It's like you know, I haven't got it. Yeah, blah blah blah. That's the sort of thick skinness in the artistic world of just right. you know just keep doing it just make he's another one keep having a go. um yeah. i was going to say well i will say woody allen even though he's a bit he's he's not quite uh de rigueur these days but you know he's made he, he made 46 films made one film a year yeah. some garbage some brilliant yeah. just kept making them. he didn't care yeah. so i cared so yeah, i guess that yeah, that's the so nerve i'm talking so about that, um yeah so anyway uh that then led me to work as a film producer um, and uh, head of creative development and business as well in a small production company. Made a couple of thim- things there. But then again, found myself uh, saying I wanted something a bit more, I guess, solid, firm, and I mm. guess a bit more in my comfort zone commercially. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so then I cinema was always of interest to me because mm. of my history and performance and just the general artistic, you know, interest in the arts uh and i found it and i love old theaters mm. and i found a a dirty old 10 page pamphlet light blue pamphlet which had from the cinema and historical theatrical society mm. with every property that had ever been a cinema in victoria mm. Uh, and so I followed up every single one of those properties and I drove out to the mall and seeing whether they were demolished or if they were bingo halls mm-hmm. or if they were apartment buildings. And uh, I guess started our journey um, into uh, cinema, I guess firstly cinema property. And then a cinema business.
0: Okay, so I want to uh, move to Elston Wick Classic because Wick Classic is something that is you know etched in my memory from being a young kid. Right. Uh, in fact, it was uh, where I went with my wife on our second date right. in nineteen ninety two. Wow. At the end of ninety two, and I remember what we movie? Saw, uh, the movie was. Uh, it, no, it's more romantic. One don't with remember. Whitney Houston. If you remember
1: that you're with your wife <laughs>
0: it's more important than the movie. I remember sitting in these like big old sort of crappy leather yep. chairs, you know the ones that kind of sink yep. in the middle. Total crap. And anyway, so that was and I remember going Nelson with Classic as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um so when when did you actually um when did you start on the redevelopment there? How, how did that go? Uh
1: well it was interesting because it actually we weren't running it at that point when you and your yeah. when your wife was seeing Whitney Houston. Um we uh Took over in around Christmas '96. Yeah, the, the classic had closed down. It was bankrupt. Uh, the independent who, who, who was running it was an independent operator. It? Yeah, who um, has been in, with Hoyts and then on his own for a while. Yeah, and uh, you know times were changing mm. very fast, like they are now. But yeah, it, it, they were definitely changing then. A single screen was not mm. uh, workable was more a labor of love mm. than the actual business and it was closed down and the kadima um, owned the property mm-hmm. owned the property at that time and we'd been after it as i had my dirty pamphlet as i mentioned to mm-hmm. you the the light blue pamphlet the classic was mm-hmm. obviously one of the old historic cinemas of melbourne and so that was one that i'd been sort of in conversation about and saying look you know to the kadima board if it, if it ever comes up let me know i'm interested let's do mm-hmm. something Anyway, the after the after they uh, the tenant had f- gone under and it was locked up, then the conversation started again and there were some other interested parties um and we I I, I ended up signing you know like a piece of paper literally uh, I think it was a handbill of a of a show um with with an outline of a 1 by 5 year lease on the classic.
0: Right, in uh, in Christmas 96. 96. So um and then so tell me a little bit about cinema at the time then was that um was it tough for suburban cinemas in that sort of time was it yeah was everyone much. going to the Hoyts and the villages and yes
1: yeah, so obviously you know cinema died for the first time in the 60s when tv started mm-hmm. and then you know again things started to get rocky in the 70s and 80s with the VHSs and yeah. video yeah um and then and then expanded and the multiplexes started Mm. in the 80s and so single single screens were just not viable Mm. and they kept you know they continued to close down down. yeah and just not workable given the power of the film distributors Mm. who dictate how many times a day and night you play a particular Mm. film Mm. so if you want to play what's called policy as in distributive policy in inverted commas which yep. is the law yeah you want the film got to play for four weeks yeah regardless of if it's taking one dollar or a mm. hundred thousand dollars yeah so therefore if it's not working you can imagine you can't bring in another film right and therefore a single screen is a recipe for disaster yeah so
0: how long did it take you to knock the place into shape and not long not long
1: no. just a few months we opened on april fool's day 97 yeah um, and we had done a, a renovation on cinema one there was also a dirty old cafeteria mm-hmm. which you which is now after the tears um at the classic and it was yeah. a, it was a big step up into a very old style you know rundown cafeteria mm. dropped that floor level um started operating that cafeteria and started running the classic as a single screen so it was just one cinema just one cinema. Yeah with some plans that we had in mind hoping that we would be able to acquire some neighboring land but mm. in the first instance we just had a 1 year lease so we were j- and I'd never done it before yeah so I was just giving it a shot seeing mm. seeing
0: what I could make out of it and how it would go and did the, had to I mean as I said I had sort of warm memories of the, of the classic did you think the whole, the community as a whole uh, around that area also had that sort of feeling was that sort of, did that help in terms of reinvigorating it in terms of the Jewish community yeah the Jewish community in the area
1: um, uh, it's a good question um, there was definitely interest given mm. where it was I guess mm. it is still the most central cinema to the community and i guess Mm. it was then but you know it was pretty much it was bankrupt it was derelict and it was it was kind of forgotten about and most people thought it was just going to become apartments yeah that it was never going to reopen again and many of the existing operators would have preferred that
0: it not open Mm. um in that landscape so how was business in that very early time was (laughs) it was it losing money or breaking even so
1: when i was running it in the beginning so it was Unfortunately, it was like gambling. It was like, um, you know, betting on your first horse to win the race um, Mm. at, you know, 50 to 1 and it wins. Yeah. Uh, Because we opened with two films, James and the Giant Peach and Collier, a Czech (laughs) film, which won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Film. And we were very, very successful. So, opening three months was astounding. Really? Uh, And then it started to get much harder as um our competitors started to notice and mm. like any other industry the competitive uh, juices started flowing for the for the, our competitors product supply
0: yeah um was not so straightforward so when you say competitors you mean other sort of suburban type cinemas is that what you're talking about yeah other cinemas yeah. other cinema yeah. operators yeah
1: uh, and so product supply became um very interesting it's product um, supply that's in terms of
0: sourcing this the actual movies
1: getting themselves. films yeah, yeah and without sort of starting an a triple c case mm. um getting the films we wanted even though it was all very romantic it was cinema mm. paradiso mm. you know you think you could just sort of invest your money and energy and start a cinema and then play whatever you want no not quite the case no. so w- w- you know especially what what they call the the smaller boutique art house films so the, the big blockbusters, which is a bit counterintuitive, they're easy to get yep. because the C would not allow right. an operator not to have yeah, Harry Potter. access to that, yeah. But the smaller ones that make your cinema, mm. give it a point of difference, give mm. it a boutique flavour, that ironically is where the battle zone was mm. then mm. and
0: continues to be till today. Mm. And, and was the, the, the palace cinemas, were they around in those days? Yeah, they were very much around yeah as they are today um interestingly the nuance though
1: is in those days they were 50 50 partners with village yeah so village cinemas owned half of palace mm. palace operated the partnership um so we were competing against the village yeah.
0: palace joint venture at the time so talking about uh sourcing movies can you explain to me a little bit about how the uh how the business of that works do you sure. do you pay for each time you screen it or, or how does the negotiation work and it's, then how do you... It's actually bizarre <laughs> and and
1: I, I don't think any other industry today works on this basis but it's a percentage of ticket ticket really? sale. So on a sliding scale. So if it's a big film, you're paying a certain amount of percentage up front week one and as the weeks slide down um, onwards, then, it, then the percentage drops in terms of the split becomes really? more in the cinema favor versus okay. the distributor favor yeah and that's how it works and it's weird so they there's a trust system so the the distributors trust that you report to them right exactly the dollar figure that you actually take and they get they then invoice you based on the, on that which is very unusual D- yeah and it's also unusual to the fact that every cinema has got access to every other cinema's sales figures wow which is really bizarre because the distributors are the kings of the jungle mm. and so they collect their data from all their cinemas, and they mm. have a data collector, so therefore everyone get, ultimately gets access to that yeah. and sees
0: every day how many, how much money every cinema is really? taken for every particular film. Is it, but as you say, it's interesting, although that it's that model. But by the same token, I can imagine that's how the whole movie, you know, success works. Right from the beginning, it's all about. Bums on seats, really isn't it? Is sure. how successful. Uh, so, so that probably just flows down yep. the entire chain from yep. the producers yep. and the like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So uh, then, so then you expanded. Obviously, you had just you had two cinemas for a while, and then you expand? no, no. So just started with just one. one.
1: Yeah. Just started with one, and uh, you know, started to get kind of hectic in yep. terms of the product supply, and it was you know very challenging, mm. and then. Um, we actually did acquire we still were confident and we took up our option and we felt like we were going to fight it out and we bought some neighboring property and we started to and we applied for a permit to expand into five screens mm-hmm. um in that process uh, there was a, a, an american operator which ran the most successful art house cinema in manhattan called mm-hmm. the angelica cinemas yeah and there's a company that's a company called Reading Cinemas. Yeah, they're yeah. in the outer suburbs of Melbourne yeah. and other places. They came and said, "Look, let's do a deal. We'll come into the classic, we'll do a joint venture, we'll bring Angelica, you know into Australia via mm-hmm. the Classic being the first, no problem with product supply, blah yeah. blah blah, and blah, blah blah. And so in ninety nine in September, we signed a joint venture agreement with them. We did the building expansion, mm-hmm. and then we then we went into a, entered a joint venture with Reading Cinemas. For about ten years, and they mm-hmm. operated that joint venture, um, which just a fast track to the end um, wasn't the the perfect meeting of tastes and approaches. Mm-hmm. And we bought their share
0: out so about when you say eight that, years ago. So when you say they, what well, they were actually running the cinema. That's then you step back from actually correct the day to day running. Correct. Yeah yeah. 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 Yes.
1: And then we, uh, yeah, that the, that that we didn't think that was. Um, that was in the best interest, ultimately, of the cinema. We had different yeah. ideas. Yeah, we felt we needed more screens. Yeah. different kind of programming, different yeah. approach. Uh, and in the end, as I say, we we brought them out about was that eight, eight nine years ago. Was that challenging to extricate um, from that? Sure. <laughs> so you know, again, that you know, there's lots of you were talking about your rant um, about that topic, and I'm sure other topics. And one, I'm sure, the rants you can have is about what people say about partnerships and yeah. business partnerships so um i wouldn't do it again in terms of a yeah. partnership uh it would have to be you know some kind of minor miracle to enter another partnership yeah um and historically my family has entered partnerships prior and
0: it hasn't worked out well yeah, it's and not so it's interesting yeah how that happens yeah absolutely so um and then then when did it th- then you opened the second cinema in Hawthorne, Lido? No, no, oh, no, no. Then um, about
1: ele- ten years after the classic, we actually bought the property in the Dandenongs for the Cameo Cinemas in Belgrave. Oh right, and that was another one on my little pamphlet. Um, one another historic cinema that had closed down, mm. and it, that actually was run by Palace, which is interesting. Yeah. And what happened there was it was a bizarre story. I don't know if you remember the Faro Building Society. No. There was a big collapse in Geelong of a building oh, society. Yeah. Somehow a couple in Geelong. Somehow the owners were connected with that building society. Mm. They I think they actually happened to be Village Cinema directors as well. There was a conflict of interest with Fountain Gate and Knox, which the directors Mm. obviously were involved in. You know, because they were village sites, they wanted to. Palace wanted to renovate and expand. The owners didn't want to entertain that; they wanted to sell the property. So, Palace, uh, their lease was terminated, and we bought the freehold of a very run down, closed down threeplex in the Danunongs in Mm. Belgrave, called the Cameo, which had been running since Mm. 1936, and we resurrected that. Over the yeah, you know, over the five-year period
0: following takeover. Wow! And did you sort of follow a similar model to what you did with the classic, or is it different in being out in a different area?
1: Yeah. So programming is different in mm-hmm. terms
0: of you know choice of film. Uh, we also added
1: um, our, an outdoor cinema on the on a grassy slope overlooking the Dandenong. Mm-hmm. So part of the what we know, what we feel is important. Part of the circus of mm. cinema mm-hmm. uh, to offer you know film in different um, different ways, uh, so we we did that there. Plus we renovated it and end up with seven screens and
0: and that outdoor cinema. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then was the next one Lido or my skipping yeah. ahead again? <laughs> uh,
1: no, no the next one was Lido. So we five years ago um, we you know we acquired the site on Glenferry Road, and that had been, again, that was in my pamphlet, because Mm. I don't know if you know, but that was also a historic cinema, Mm. called um, the Glenferry Theatre, 1912, the whole building, even though it's, yeah, it used to be a 1600 seat theatre, and then we, basically, I had a vision, um, I guess, which is a bit, of a commercial conversation, which is that, the first floor of buildings, in retail strips, Mm. um, never really fire up there's never really a use that mm. is compelling they're crappy offices a lot of the time crappy offices yeah. billiard halls yeah. you know karate schools yeah you know yeah. you know like totally you know tertiary rents mm. um so my vision was if we can create on the on the ground floor a kind of compelling micro retail environment mm. and use the first floor as cinemas mm. um then let's give it a crack and that's why we that's why we did at the Lido. So yeah. we we have uh, some retail shops at the bottom yeah. and we built the eight screen complex and a rooftop cinema mm.
0: on on the first and mm. second floor of so, the So so it sounds to me like the suburban cinema as you said like go back to when you started it was like this one cinema thing and and now you know you're talking about cinemas with seven or eight mm-hmm. is it are they becoming similar to the to the big guys, to the Hoyts, to the Villages? Is it, is it is is the feel becoming a little bit similar because now you've got so many more, you know, in the one place.
1: Very good question. And in fact, now we have ten cinemas
0: at the Classic because we're we've, ten? we've ten. built another four
1: on top of Cinema One, opened about three months ago. Mm. So it's a good question. I hope you're wrong. I mean, I hope, but I, I guess I'm not objective because mm. hopefully, the, our blend. Our quirky eccentric blend of a historic cinema building, keeping the historic elements that we can, plus mm. contemporizing and and making the cinemas relevant mm. and up-to-date and commercial standards of sight sound and seating. yeah, hopefully that's compelling. but I guess yes, compared to one cinema where the owner is the usher and you have that personal connection and you're seeing one film. And it's, it is it is probably a bit the same going to a, a village templex than it is going to the classic.
0: But hopefully there are some nuances in our favour. Mm, mm. Okay. And so talking about the, um, just the, as I said, the operational aspects of, of running a cinema. So a, a lot of places like, you know, the, the cafeteria, for example, the, the food, is that is that one of the biggest sort of profit drivers of a, of a business like a cinema?
1: Um. You know, it, that's kind of a bit of a, I guess, almost a stereotype of cinemas. You know, you yeah. make money from the popcorn, not the tickets. It's kind of both. Yeah, it's probably two thirds tickets, uh, one third food and drink.
0: Yeah, yeah. In okay. In terms of revenue,
1: and uh, and tell me, in, but but yeah. on that again, we we try to push the envelope. So yeah. on the food and drink, we we're definitely not like the mainstream cinemas mm. with that offer all boutique Victorian wine and beer, um, all, you know, vegetarian offers, toasties, edamame, cheese platters, misos. So we push the envelope of what Mm -hmm. a cinema can do on the food and drink Mm -hmm. side, and hopefully it's
0: compelling. Yeah. Okay. So I want to move a little bit more towards uh, the Jewish Film Festival. Mm. Uh, Now, do you run a number of different film festivals? Yeah, good question. So
1: so in terms of just, I guess, one of your earlier questions to me before we, we, we came here in terms of what... What we do that, mm, I guess, is... Wh- what we've learnt in our industry and what we do that's maybe slightly different um, is that the cinema business just in a macro sense is challenged. So mm. the population is exploding around the world, but mm. cinema admissions are flat. Mm. So they're not dropping, mm. but they're not growing with the population. Mm. The, mo- the money is by inflation and ticket prices going up mm. but I think it's that's actually hit a ceiling now and right. and now discounting is yeah. starting you know as soon as something's flat mm. discounting comes in mm. so the discounting comes in and we are going we will be addressing that in the mm. next f- few months because mm. we'll stay we still want to be special authentic unique luxurious but mm. also value so yeah. we you know we we we're, we're very conscious of, of of those aspects but anyway part of what is working in cinema mm. is, and i think in life in general there's so much noise in every aspect of mm. of life that curation is a big deal mm. curating of food curating of mm. music curating of news cur- curating of of cinema choices of books so film festivals work they mm. are they are the curation they cut mm. through the noise you know that if you're into that niche um then you know you're going to be catered for and Mm. you don't need to run around looking for you know every chinese film if you're into that or every jewish film if you're into that yeah you'll you'll hopefully trust the curation Mm. Mm -hmm. so the jewish film festival is part of what our compelling hopefully compelling offer is at the classic and now in fact in both our other cinemas are also running running gif Mm. um and and GIF, the Jewish Film Festival had been running has been running for twenty six years in Australia. Mm. Um, eight years ago, uh, it was it was being run for a non for profit, and they were doing their best. They had they had a big heyday, but then again. Things just got competitive mm. again and even in the festival space they got so competitive yeah. that the non for profit found it very difficult to compete with other bigger festivals mm. who, let's say it's a Jewish film festival it mm. could be films from 50 different countries yeah. you're competing with every ethnic film festival mm. of that, you know, the French-Jewish yeah. film so it's the French the Melbourne and Sydney who just want international films of great quality mm. they may want it so you're competing against everyone right. and there's an explosion there's 46 film festivals in Australia is right? which is yeah. insane so yeah. we said to them look you, you're running it. it it's in our cinema um, you need to reinvigorate it to make it exciting compelling yeah. otherwise we, we may need to consider doing one ourselves." and in the end we reached a great arrangement where they said look you know you're right it's a, it's a really competitive world there we'll give you our blessing um and our relationships and mm. they kind of handed over yeah we then rebranded and yeah. became a for-profit yeah in the landscape like, like a lot of the palace film festivals mm-hmm. are
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we started the jewish film festival
0: yeah Terrific. seven years ago and so that was i mean select I mean, i'm always amazed every year at the sheer number of films that are yeah. that are in the film festival mm. so do you um, do you actually select them all or yeah. do you, do, do, you yes. do that with Lindy or Yes, so Lindy yeah. does watch you
1: know most all of the films. Yeah. as well as me. I'm the artistic Lindy's like Lindy's role has changed over the years uh, and she's now actually the uh, I guess the chief executive of the festival. Yeah. Um, and involved with operations and sponsorship. Mm-hmm. um and i've just moved back to purely the artistic role mm-hmm. so i then yes watch everything um with some input from lindy and some of our other staff but there's it's a very big job because mm. we watch sort of on average a film a day like we watch about 300 films mm-hmm. over a year yeah. to get down to about our 60 65 films like we have this year yeah
0: and how do you how do you sort how do you find those
1: films? So you know some is some are easy, some yeah. get sent to us. But generally, you got to get out there. So mm-hmm. we go to the film markets, so Berlin mm-hmm. and Cannes. We're not in Venice, Toronto, which mm-hmm. are on right now, um, because it's too close to our festival. Um, so we go to the markets, we view the films mm-hmm. at a, when they're at an international premiere status. Mm-hmm. We also go to Tel Aviv for a documentary festival, and then we try to negotiate film festival rights against other Australian film festivals and in order to be compelling if there's one that we love and it's a really hot, hot film we will then from time to time actually buy the Australian all rights, right. distribution rights yeah. to those films so that we can then control it and bring it to our audiences first in the way we yeah. want to. And it's the
0: same th- you, you mentioned the uh, economics of you know getting the big movies that you've got to pay a percentage of ticket. Yeah. Things. Is that the same for the small ones as well? Yes, yeah, so on distribution well, well when you, what we talking about from the
1: cinema side or no, from the distribution? I'm side? I'm saying from the distribution side. Distribution yeah. side is a different. Yes. So
0: then we become the distributor, and mm. then the cinema splits. Oh with no, us that's when, that's, the when the you get, that's when you get the rights. But I'm talking about for all, you know all those sixty films that you yep. get. Yep. I mean, you you don't have the rights for all of them. Uh, or you do. Probably
1: have, about ten of them
0: we do have the rights. Right.
1: And the others we have what's called festival rights. Some of those are splits. Mm-hmm. With local distributors, yeah. and some of them are not splits; they're just straight fees, right? If you want to get that yeah. Yeah. nuanced, yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> and then, do many of the films from that um, from the film festival you then uh, show for a while afterwards, or about
1: uh, it averages about sort of twenty percent, yeah, a year. Some of them that are local distributors, as in not us, mm-hmm. um, they'll release them throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them that we own, we'll also release them throughout the year. But then it's still 10 to 15 films out of the 65. So some of them, if you don't see them at GIF, you ain't going to see them. Yeah. And do you do any other
0: any other film festivals?
1: Yep. yep. This year we started the first Children's International Film Festival. Um, we felt there's a big market. It's amazing how... You know, again you think everything's Netflix and Nickelodeon mm. and mm. whatever, but in terms of international cinema, every country makes films mm. and the great stuff, because of subtitles often, yeah. You know, is the great Scandinavian animation mm. is not that suits a five to eight year old, is not seen. In australian cinema and also not on streaming services mm-hmm. so what we did is we started to enter that market we love those films and we actually had for some of them we had an english language uh, translator or narrator of the subtitles mm. in the cinema so it made these amazingly magical films wow. workable for a five to eight year old english-speaking audience
0: wow yep and so is that a relatively new thing that you've done
1: like, yeah absolutely and we're June next year we'll be expanding it and we,
0: we love yeah. it and we're going to be yeah. really building on it yeah okay I'm interested uh, we touched on before about the different challenges that have that have uh, been there for cinema over the years you talked about uh, in the 70s and 80s or the videos sort of coming out in the 80s and 90s and then obviously DVDs as well we've seen the death of all the video stores what, what could you tell me were the, the biggest sort of challenges that, you, that you've had to face along the way um. Well, the whole
1: industry worldwide has faced and still faces the amazing scenario of theft. <laughs> mm. People steal film. So, you know, it's, it's so easy. You press a button, streaming service, and oh. you just steal a film. So stealing right. doesn't help your business. If you, even if you own a milk bar... You mm. really don't want people to be stealing your Sherbet bombs. So um, you're saying how do people st- via YouTube or any of those? Uh, not places? YouTube, but just yes, you know, all those pirate, Pirate mm. Bay, mm. etc. Streaming services. Yeah. So that's clearly you know, uh, when people steal, it doesn't help your business. Mm. What more can I say on that? Mm. Um, and then, and then the streaming, then the legal streaming services are clearly yeah. also a big challenge in the same yeah. spirit as dvd vhs and tv were Mm, mm. which cinema somehow faced and continued you know had their dips and then somehow re-established reinvented and and found their way Mm. slightly different with the streaming services now because they're getting so powerful that they're now producing their own films as in netflix
0: Mm. uh,
1: and so therefore you don't even it, the cinema doesn't even get a chance to play that film, right? So it goes direct to the streaming service. Yeah. And the other interesting thing: streaming services haven't done very well with with film. Mm. Great with television, the television shows. So, yeah. but but still, that's very you know, if if TV is so compelling mm. and gets, <coughs> excuse me, the best creative talent, mm. and is making amazing stuff, even if it's not a film, mm. uh, it competes with cinema. Mm. But many things compete with cinema. Mm. So obviously, TV great tv Mm. live entertainment in this Mm. era of everyone you know kind of onanistically looking at their devices and being connected digitally so continuously um bizarrely and nicely live Mm. entertainment is enormous and exploding Mm. as you know as, as a kind of counter revolution so you know like obviously with the music business there's no money in records anymore mm. or even with downloads yeah legal downloads but concerts are enormous and keep musicians in mm. you know small money or big money depending on who they are mm-hmm. so that's a challenge to cinema um yep. so many many different things you know fragmenting
0: fragmenting the audiences mm. Mm. And uh in terms of other things in in from a business sense is I don't know, managing staff, for example, personnel in a business like yours, is that is that a challenge? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. we have
1: we have like a hundred staff and yeah. over the three cinemas, mostly yeah. mostly casuals. Yeah. Um, probably, you know, ten to twelve full timers, a marketing mm. team, manager, mm. assistant manager. Always, of course. Hard yeah. to you know, yeah. get the great people, hard to motivate, hard to keep, hard to you know, monitor just so you know mm. we're we're working hard on the HR side, and we've got yeah. a great
0: team at the moment, but it changes yeah. all the time. Yeah, terrific. All right, so let's maybe just uh, in the last few minutes we've got, just tell us a little bit about the um about the film festival coming up. Oh yeah. Um, what is the sort of uh what are the big headline movies uh that, <laughs> that uh you know, the ones that you're launching it with? Sure.
1: So, yeah, that's an interesting question. Our, our launch is actually on the 23rd of September Yeah, where we actually hand out our first printed program. Yeah, So we are presenting that. Our launch film is a film called Twinning Reaction, mm-hmm. which is a really amazing documentary about a 1960s story of a crazy scientist who decided that he wanted to work with twins and understand about human psychology Mm, via mm. twins many any somehow connected with jewish mothers who were finding life tough um from single mothers to mothers with all sorts of financial problems and somehow got them to volunteer their twins and triplets to a jewish adoption agency called the, the louise wise adoption agency and for some bizarre reason which is still under lock and key a lot of the documents the Jewish agency at the time supported this separating of the twins fostering them adopting them out to different families Jeez. and only now literally in the so last, this was in Israel no in America, yeah, oh, in America only in the last 10 to 20 years are, peop- uh, are, are the twins and triplets getting reunited wow. knowing about their other siblings and it's that story so we're launching the program with that well, film so when, when did that
0: take place that? 60s In the 60s. Wow. Amazing. Yeah.
1: You know, so, yeah, and this was a very suspect, clearly, suspect doctor and a suspect science. And very cruel, and still a lot of secret documents not fully exposed. But this documentary tries to dig into that as well as talk, interview the, yeah, the wow. actual siblings. Sounds fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, lo- yeah. 64 films we've got. Yeah. So there's lots, lots of stuff. There's an amazing film that we're closing with, which I will tell you about. It's called Unorthodox. Yeah. And it just opened the Jerusalem Film Festival this year. And it's about, it's the story of one guy who started because uh, one Sfadi Frum guy. Uh, who uh, was pissed off because his daughter was kicked out of an Ashkenazi um, girl's yeshiva Mm -hmm. and he felt it was for racist reasons uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, and he was instrumental out of that anger and outrage starting the Shas party. So it's a story of the evolution of the Shas party with sort of one man raging against the system Uh, With all the warts and all of, you know, what the internal bickering Mm. within the Shas Party, but at its Mm. heart, it's this amazing, rollicking story of
0: of this one one special everyman. And uh, what percentage of the movies are made in Israel?
1: Yeah, so we, you know, our philosophy, we don't like the... uh, Also because of, I guess, who I am in a way, Mm. Israeli background, Israeli parents... Mm. Brought up, born in Australia, two passports, mm. uh, split identity. Where's home? Yeah. You know, speak Hebrew. The whole Israeli Jewish thing versus the diaspora Jewish thing yeah. is something that um i find problematic in terms mm. of separation mm. i like to bring things together unify mm. in every way whether it's yeah. i guess commercially politically mm. artistically mm. you know israeli jews and diaspora jews it's one thing for me mm-hmm. it's not split so to answer your question it's 50 50 yeah israeli film and diaspora jewish production
0: yeah and it's, it does interest me that there are you know what sort of the smallest country or the that that would produce Jewish films? <laughs> like, um, the smallest. I'm just trying to think the smallest yeah. country this year. Well,
1: you know, if there's a Jewish story there, then um, you know, like Romania.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Is that a small country? I don't know. But what? Like, <laughs> I, 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 I suppose maybe not small country, but I, I suppose small in terms of Jewish population.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there was you know, the a couple of years ago there was this great story of a uh, Japanese story about mm. the Japanese diplomat who mm. who saved Jews during the war. So Japan was right behind it. Mm. We've got a Brazilian one. Uh, mm. There obviously are a lot, quite a few Brazilian Jews, but but there's another there's a great Brazilian film called Dear mm. Ambassador this year which mm-hmm. is again the same thing about uh, an amazing non-Jewish Brazilian Ambassador in Warsaw who mm. uh, was instrumental in saving many, many Jewish lives. So, yeah, it's you know, I think we're about 15 different countries this year. Mm. Uh, so, any Australian? Um, unfortunately, not Australian, except for the fact that the Jewish Film Festival funds the production of two short films from Australian filmmakers every year. Oh, uh, yeah. And this year we've funded two more by. Two very interesting directors, and they'll be they'll be
0: being presented at uh, at GIF. Are they? They're the short films. Yep, two Are shorts. They? Terrific. And, okay, so just uh, for our listeners, you, when does the film festival start? October twenty three, and it's all the it's all around Australia now, isn't yep, it? Yep, yep. Yeah. We go Melbourne, Sydney,
1: Perth, Brisbane, and Canberra. Yeah,
0: and how how long does it go for? It's a long haul, Ruben. Yeah. A month. Wow. Don't go away. Don't go away in November. Yeah, it's certainly. I certainly look forward to it each year. And if people are, are interested in sponsorship or anything like that, where should they uh where should they go? Absolutely, Lindy at Jiff J I F F dot com
1: dot au. And um, you know, you started with a with a I guess what do you call it? A financial advice warning. Yeah. Do not take financial <laughs> advice. Um, I think uh, you know a sponsorship advertising package from the Jewish International Film yeah. Festival is very uh, commended and commendable yeah. and recommended. Yeah. As well as great value
0: buying a ticket to the movies
1: absolutely that's my financial advice
0: fair enough (laughs) and you do you do have um you do have like uh deals if you buy what more than 10 tickets or or 20 tickets at the festival yeah 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 we have five 10 20 passes absolutely yeah yeah. okay all right look thanks very much it's been a very enlightening uh to hear about both your journey and about the uh the cinemas uh that we that many of our listeners will actually go to all the time and we're looking forward to the film festival as well
1: Thanks, Ruben. Thanks for your interest and your support, and uh, see you at the movies. Okay.